0: Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Aspects or truths of Christianity that are not negotiable. All right, without these truths, uh, then you basically are not Christian. It's it's a uh, a statement of faith that's been agreed upon. We're gonna get into that in just a minute. Last week, um do want to mention that we had a guest speaker, or not really a guest speaker. <laughs> uh, one of the, a part of the lead team here, Dale Stoll, ministered, and uh, not only did he minister, but he wrote a, a book. I mean, wow. Uh, just, uh, to cover what he shared on, and so that was great. And uh, next week, Graham McCaig will be here um, continuing this series. If you're new with us, uh, just to remind you that the vision for New Day Community Church is to multiply churches. And um, uh, so we start churches and I'm so excited what God is doing here in Vandalia. Uh, just over a year on, we started a year ago, January. And God's God's done it. I mean, uh, provided in so many ways, uh building wise but more important than the building, you know exponentially more important than the building is you, all right the people. And the reason uh, God uh, you know, uh, convinced me, and it took a number of years for him to convince me to commit to starting a church in Vandalia, uh, the reason that we're doing that is to reach you, to reach the people of Vandalia. And you know, there's 52,000 people within a 20-minute drive of where we're sitting right now. And the vast majority of them uh, have no connection with a body of believers, with a faith community. And so we're here and we acknowledge that there's plenty of churches around, but um, uh, each church has its own personality and will be effective at reaching a different uh, uh, group of those, those unreached people. And so I appreciate you coming. I appreciate embracing the vision. Because our vision is to reproduce churches, I rotate, so I'm only here every other week. And we have a team of over a dozen other people that come in and will be teaching. Graham next week, for example, is uh, you know, teaches and works for a seminary and he's getting his doctorate degree. He's a brilliant young man. But he, what I love about him most is that he takes uh, complicated truths and makes them understandable. And uh, And so we rotate through different speakers but also part of the vision is raising up local leadership so the fact our whole worship team you know a year ago they weren't a worship team some of them had never played uh publicly in front of people and now they're leading worship okay hello this that's great all right you know and there's <clears throat> there's something exciting and there you have an opportunity to plug in on the ground floor of a brand new church and that what that means is that you know you're not going to hear, oh, we can't do it because we've never done it that way. You're going to hear, we can do anything because we, we, we just need to get things going. <laughs> All right, There's a lot of flexibility. Uh, but that means there's a lot of potential. And we're a church that believes in the whole family. Uh, we started youth group meetings before we started Sunday services. All right? That's it. That was so high on my list. I was so excited. Uh, Mary Joe and... and, and uh, 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 Shelton <laughs> uh, involved in that and going well. Children's ministry. We did have a bit of a <clears throat> anointing on our uh, children's wing. There was a water pipe in the attic and it and it burst in the middle of the winter there. And so um, there's quite a bit of damage. Um, the estimate is around seventeen to eighteen thousand uh, dollars. We are in addition to repairing it, we're going to move some of the walls around to make it a little better uh, use. We have not heard back from the insurance company how much they're going to cover. And so could you just pray with me? Because we'd love to have them cover most of it. <laughs> we'd love to have them cover all of it. <laughs> so Father, we just ask for favor, supernatural favor. God, and uh, we thank you uh, that you are a God that provides. And where there's vision, you give provision. And so we just trust you to just to give us a favorable settlement with the insurance company. And Father, for whatever else that's needed, that You would bring that money in so that we can have an excellent space for our children. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, well, let's jump in. i got a lot to talk about. Uh, The Non-Negotiables is based on the Nicene Creed. How many have heard of the Nicene Creed before? Good, very good. So, it was written in 325, so it means for about 1700 years Christians all over the world from every ethnicity. You know, it was written in Asia. A lot of people think Christianity, they think of Christianity as an American faith, American religion, or at least a Western religion. It's not, right? Uh, uh, The Nicene Creed was written in an Asian city, Nicaea. And I was actually only 100 kilometers away from there uh, last year. I wish I'd gone there. I flew over it. (laughs) Uh And it was based on a previous creed called called the Apostles' Creed, which is still used today. It's a shorter version, and and we don't know when the Apostles' Creed was form- formulated, but um, legend has it, or tradition has it, that it was actually written by the apostles. That's why it was called the Apostles' Creed. That the 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 uh, before the apostles dispersed, uh, while well, there was still working together, they, they formulated the creed as an agreed-upon statement. So the Nicene Creed and of course the Apostles' Creed actually predates the New Testament canon. And not the canon that shoots cannonballs. Alright? <laughs> the canon, that's another word for an agreed-upon collection of writings. Alright? And so, guess what? <clears throat> Your Bible is comprised of 66 books. Uh, 27 of them make up the New Testament. And so they had to decide, well, you know, there were a lot of other writings by early Christian leaders, but they had to decide which ones were inspired and acknowledged. And there was a whole list of things that uh, the church leaders used to uh, make that decision. And one of those things was that the writings had to line up with the Nicene Creed. And so the Nicene Creed, the Statement of Faith, Actually, was agreed upon and used regularly by the church before the New Testament was even the New Testament. All right, so that makes this pretty pretty incredible. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I actually didn't know that. I when I uh, I, I learned that in this study, I, I knew it went back to the earliest days. but I didn't realize it was actually used as a as a uh, one of the things that determined. Uh, uh, of course, uh, another thing just about the New Testament books. There wasn't a lot of argument, you know, when they decided which books were included. It was just, it was more of an acknowledgement than a determination. It was it was it was very well set uh, by uh, pretty early on, and all of the New Testament books were written well before 100 A.D. Regardless of what you may read or hear of, uh, so this creed was used as a personal statement of faith, a personal confession, and it was in the early church. Um, People who were to get baptized would say this creed to um, confess what they believed, and that was evidence of their faith. And understand that, uh, and uh, you know, for most of history, people didn't have Bibles and they couldn't read, but they could memorize uh, this short statement of faith. So it was a confession of faith that was used personally, but it was also considered a rule of faith. And what I mean by that is that it was used. It, and, and especially the Nicene Creed was the wording was carefully chosen to protect against heresy or false teaching and many of the false teaching that um, were was uh, challenging the church in the uh, first couple of hundred years still challenge the church today all right the same heresies um, uh, they just keep going round and round and so uh, this creed helps us, uh, uh, from falling off the edge. And I had a vision or this image of the creed is like guardrails. You know, last year I did a men's retreat down in um, Georgia with our South Carolina church. <clears throat> and just down the road from the camp where we were at, there was a ravine. It was like seven to 900 feet deep. And uh, we showed up and we walked out and you could walk right up to the edge. A sheer drop off, seven 800 feet straight down. Beautiful river, waterfall, absolutely stunning. But boy, was I glad there was a guardrail. (laughs) You know, if there wasn't a guardrail, I would have been a. uh, (laughs) But because there was a big, sturdy guardrail, you know, I could I could lean over it, right? And so, so this creed is like a guardrail that's lasted for almost 1,700 years. All right, of people leaning on it. And so it protects us from falling off into heresy. But then I kind of saw there's another kind of rail. And that's like a train track rail. And and So these truths are like the train track rail that that enables a locomotive to to be propelled and to travel and to carry the the message of the Gospel literally not only to the ends of the earth, but through time. And so the the creed... it's like a guardrail, but it's also like train rails. <clears throat> it keeps Christianity on track. And um, what we're going to do in this series is focus on what these truths mean, uh, why they're important, and how they should shape our lives. And so the purpose of the, of the the uh, of the course or, or of this uh, series is not to show you the biblical basis necessarily. So we're not going to take a lot of time to show you a bunch of scriptures to prove that the Nicene Creed is true. Because actually the Nicene Creed was in place before the New Testament, so it would actually kind of be backwards anyway. Um, but we're going to refer to some of the scriptures that, uh, of course, that uh, teach the same ideas. But I want you to understand what it means. And so we recite the creed every time we we do communion once a month. And many times I'm standing there reciting these truths that that I just they just they just stir me up, and I wonder. How many people in the room don't know what it means? Like you just you don't just saying it by because you have to say it doesn't have any power, right? You need to understand what it means. So we're going to take some time to talk through uh, what it all means. So first we're going to read through it. <coughs> um, so can we read this all together? Yeah. All right. So can you if you can see it? If not. Uh, uh, move closer or look behind you. There's one right there. <laughs> all right. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father." Through Him all things were made for us men and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures. We believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen! Ah, So, this statement... Listen, folks, please get excited about this. This statement of faith has transformed civilizations. Really! Alright? Thank you. you know, the Romans, uh world uh, didn't get transformed by Bibles being printed and handed out. You know, that was great, but it, it didn't happen back then because it couldn't happen back then, right? It got transformed by people understanding this, embracing it, yeah, learning from Scripture and then living in it, all right? These truths have uh, propelled through the centuries, through all of the cultures, when I was in Turkey last year, uh, I went to a church in, in Smyrna um, <clears throat> and uh, they gathered together and they were speaking in Turkish and they took communion and they stood up and they started reciting something and about halfway through, I figured it out, they re- were reciting the Nicene Creed. I'm like, wow! It's so amazing that throughout time, throughout history, this these have been the non-negotiables that define Christianity and these truths changes people, changes civilizations. Okay, let's jump in. The first stanza, we're going to take it one stanza at a time each week. <clears throat> we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things seen and unseen. So this is really who is God. This, this part of the uh, creed talks about who, the identity of God, who is God. And uh, actually the first two words are very, very, very significant. We believe... Or in the original uh, uh, Latin that it was written in, it's singular. I believe. It's personal. Okay, So, I believe, or it can be translated, we believe, uh, is a, 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 an absolutely essential part of the creed because it, it's the beginning. It's, it's built on the fact that Christianity is embraced personally. Each individual must embrace it, and it must be embraced through faith. Through belief. That's the the connection point. Christianity cannot be practiced apart from faith, apart from believing it. And you might say, well, what do you mean by that? Practice. And and sometimes it helps to look at other religions. I go to Japan frequently. And uh, uh, we actually go to the temples and the shrines because Japanese people go to the temples and shrines all the time. Uh, it's a it's a tra- out of tradition and out of um, uh, it's just a family thing to do and they always take offerings uh, like heads of cabbage <laughs> that's the thing that cracks me up you'll go to a shrine and there'll be a head of cabbage in front of an idol so was a lunch <laughs> you know I shouldn't make fun of their uh, practice but <clears throat> so sometimes we ask the the Japanese people like why are you here oh because it's the temple and it's it's Saturday. It's or They have all kinds of days where they're supposed to go. Because it's such and such day. Oh, so why do you do that? Because we're supposed to. And, they, and we all ask, well, what God are you worshiping? And they just look at you like you're a foreigner. Actually, <laughs> sure have a Japanese person interpreting. But they don't even understand the idea that you have to believe in the God. They're practicing a religion without faith. Right? A lot of religions are practiced. Unfortunately, people who think they're Christians practice the Christian religion without personally embracing it. They may go to church every Sunday, but they don't have a living, active faith, all right, with the Creator God. All right? So Christianity can become just a, a religion, you know, because you grew up going to church, you keep going to church, you don't even know why you go to church, but you're supposed to go to church, and you don't want to go to hell, and so you keep doing it. Well, that's not Christianity. Christianity starts with. I personally have embraced this by faith. I believe it. I believe. I just believe these things to be true. You know, um, and <clears throat> it can't be a practice apart from that. Now, this is important because Christianity is not inherited, and it's not cultural. No one is born Christian. Even if you have Christian parents, you're not born Christian. You're born into a Christian home, and that gives you a huge advantage, but you're not born Christian. And here's another comparison. In, in Islam, in the Muslim world, you're born Muslim. You are born Muslim. Or you're born Christian. In Egypt, I have a friend who, uh, is Egyptian. He and his wife live in Egypt. <clears throat> he's a medical doctor. He's really there. He runs a underground network of Christian, uh, churches throughout all of North Africa. And, uh, um, and he's told me quite clearly, if, uh, an Egyptian and in most of the North African countries, if a Muslim, a person who is born Muslim, it's against the law to convert to Christianity, and the penalty is death. All right, death. If you if you if you are caught reading a Bible, you can be imprisoned. It's interesting that uh, the what the real proof is is that once you're baptized, then it's a death penalty. Right? It's a death penalty. And so, because they're born that now, Christians when they're born, they're they're given a particular tattoo as soon as they come out of the first thing, so that they're marked as Christians and they they can practice a Christian faith. Because in their mindset, in that in that culture, you're either born Muslim or you're born Christian. But that's a misunderstanding of of Christianity. No one's born Christian. We're all born sinners, <laughs> in need of us equally in need of a savior. Uh, it's personal. But it's not private. And this is a huge, huge important thing to understand that you need to embrace it personally, but you need to pronounce it publicly. And that's what this confession was all about. It was about publicly confessing. Uh, that's what church is. Church is a public assembly. It's not a building. It's a public assembly. It's the people who gather together in the name of God... Under the name of Je- the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to worship like we did this morning and to learn and to fellowship with one another it 's individual but it 's also corporate and this shapes us that we understand that without this faith without this belief it 's impossible to please God, okay because he who comes to God must believe it has to be active uh, um, and that he is uh, a rewarder of those who diligently the believe that He is, He exists, He is who he, he says He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So this belief shapes our identity, shapes our life, shapes how we interact with the one God. And one God is another very important. Each word, every word in this creed was, was labored over to communicate significant truth. They boiled it down to a, to a one-paragraph statement that you can easily m- memorize. But one God, monotheism versus pantheism. And it, that used pantheism used to be unheard of in, in America, but it isn't anymore. Right? Uh, plenty of gods out there. <clears throat> Monotheism is just big long word means one God. Pantheism means that there's a whole bunch of gods. All right. And when this was written, and when Christianity came on the scene, the world was filled with a uh, 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 with just uh, take your pick of whatever God you want. Uh, and uh, there was, uh, Christianity was declaring, as did Judaism, that there is one God. Uh, it's based on this ancient statement found in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. And if you know anything about the, the Jewish faith, the Jewish uh, 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 I'm a, I'm a, a good Jewish person will say these words. The first words they say every morning and the last words they say every night the first words that uh, is spoken into a child's ear the moment they're born <clears throat> it's hero israel the lord our god the lord is one it's a, it, it was their core statement of faith but in in even in this statement there is evidence of a diversity okay in this statement of one god there is a hint if you will <laughs> it's more than a hint <laughs> it's a it's a as uh, a big red flag uh, or a green flag um, that says, you know, there's something about the Lord, this one Lord, that actually there is diversity within the unity of God. Right? This is really important because this is this is the fundamentals of our faith, right? So in this statement, Hero Israel, Israel, are all the descendants of Abraham, here as they're declaring it, all the people of God, the Lord, which was in the Hebrew. Yahweh, or Jehovah, right? Um, That's the personal name of God. And that's a singular. Yahweh, singular. Our God is a different Hebrew word. Elohim. And the funny thing about Elohim is it's plural. And there is no way you can get around that. And even the Jewish rabbis for centuries kind of Tried to had to figure out about this. The same thing is in creation. Let us make man in our image. These it was. It, they were plurals, All right? And then it goes back. So this Lord singular is Elohim plural. The Lord is one, and the one. The word one means one. And so in that, see, there's a hint throughout the whole Old Testament. You know, the 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 new and the old is concealed. The Old and the New is revealed, it says. So, the New Testament truths are all through the Old Testament, but they're concealed. So, it's hinted here. What is hinted? What's hinted is the Trinity. And so, the unity that is one or uh, it means united. The word one means singular, but it also can mean united or unified. And it also means one as in the top, the number one. All right? So Yahweh, when you hear the word Yahweh throughout Scripture, and in your Bible, in the Old Testament, most translations have it in all caps. Uh, that's the word Yahweh. That is not referring most often to the Father. It's referring to the Trinity. Right? Sometimes people like are shocked by that. But, sorry, that's just the way it is. Because there's one God. All right, It's made up of a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, Uh, and so why is this important? Well, uh, our the foundations of our faith emphasize that there's only one God. Listen, there is one God. It's not like there's three gods: the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father. It's not like there's one God, the Father, and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit are His assistants. No, there's one God. Okay, but there's three manifestations, if you will or persons, or identities, or or revelations. And you think, well, how does that work? I'm like, if you can figure that out, you will have bested the most intelligent men that have ever lived. (laughs) In other words, if there's not something about God that you can't figure out, then He shouldn't be your God. Because if you can figure out everything about God, then you're not looking at God. All right? Doesn't that make sense? Yes. Alright. So, I don't understand how that works, but I believe it. And that's what counts. I believe it. It doesn't say, I understand. It says, I believe. Now, that there's one God, but He represents Himself in a trying nature and someday we'll, we'll understand it. And this shapes us that we need to believe in a trying God. And this is being challenged today significantly by secularism and pluralism. The world is screaming at a very high volume, that we need to accept everybody's uh, de- definition of God um, and, and tolerate it. And, and not communicate or profess our view of God. And we need to respect others, but that doesn't mean we yield this truth. And so, uh, if, if, if someone starts talking about their, their understanding of God, listen to them. Understand what they're saying. And then say, well, would you like to know what I believe? Or would you like to know what, how I see scripture uh, showing God or, or share with them? It just opens up doors of opportunity to communicate truth. Okay, let's move on. One God, the Father. I really love this, is that the initial defining attribute of this one God, the word that the church has chosen ever since the earliest days to describe who God is Father. Alright? Wow. <clears throat> He's the originator. He's the source. But I like that, if you look through scripture, in almost every incident where God reveals Himself, He reveals Himself as Father first. Think of Adam. When He created Adam. And Eve, He, He shaped him. Adam's first sight was when He opened His eyes and saw the face of God. And, and felt God's breath breathing on him, right? And he and he showed, showed him where he lived, and he gave him uh, eventually gave him a wife, and he was their father long before he was the lawgiver. Same same thing with is the nation of Israel. He fathered them first. I mean, he wasn't that way with he was that way with Abram. He was that way with the whole nation of Israel. He, they were when they were found as slaves uh, in Egypt. He rescued them. He took them out. He provided for them. He he uh uh protected them he was father first and then he's lawgiver does this make sense all right and so you have to understand that this is essential to understanding the nature of god paul refers to this in first corinthians it says we know uh, there is only one god the father who created everything well, literally they pulled that right out for the creed from that text uh in another place um, paul quotes the old testament and this is a prophecy that God spoke uh, to the uh, to the, His people, and it's quoted in the New Testament. It says, And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Right? Why is this important? Listen, there is a universal cry, a hunger in the heart of mankind, men, women, and children, for a father. All right? It's hardwired into humanity to need a father. And when we're lack and this generation, uh, more than any, I think, uh, uh, lacks fatherhood, but really it's a human condition. Um, we cry out for a father, possibly, and I would say probably, and I believe completely, that uh, this need for a father is actually a response to the fathers. <coughs> cry and call. See, the Father created us to have relationship with us. And so we hunger for a Father because the Father has put that hunger in us. Why? Because we need connection with Him. So that hunger was hardwired into you so that you'd seek a relationship with Him. Now listen, it's hardwired into every man, woman, and child you meet out in the world. No matter what they're practicing, what they're involved in, you just understand that they're looking for a daddy. That'll love them. That'll provide for them. That'll be nice to them and kind to them and and safe. And that daddy is heavenly father. (laughs) And that's the one who we uh, proclaim uh, 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 and uh, preach about who Jesus came to reveal. So this really should shape a lot about our lives. Jesus said, My father has entrusted everything to me. Think about that for a minute. Jesus' view of the Father was that He knew that God had given Him everything. God had put everything into His care. My Father has entrusted everything to Me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and to those, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And so Jesus came with the full endorsement of the Father for the purpose of leading, you and I, leading people to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? There's another verse. Jesus said that. And no one comes to where? Heaven? Huh? To the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. His purpose was to lead people in uh, to a relationship with the Father. Comparison is Islam has 99 names for God. Father is not one of them christianity it's the first it's the first word that defines him and so seeing uh, god as a father radically alters our understanding of what christianity is from a mere religion to a relationship it's about being in relationship with a with a heavenly father and we pray to our daddy abba <laughs> not to a distant disconnected unrelated uh, deity So this should really change how we see ourselves. Just like Jesus' identity of Himself was based on His understanding of how the Father saw Him. The Father has entrusted everything to me. (laughs) This should change how we see ourselves. We are to be like Christ. Do you know that? that's what the definition of Christianity is? Right? You want to follow Christ? You want to be like Christ? When we say, I want to be like Jesus. All right. Say, the Father, say out loud, the Father, the Father has, entrusted has entrusted everything, everything to, me to me because I'm like Christ. I'm like Christ. Oh. What if you lived your life believing that? God's entrusted everything. There's nothing outside of my grasp. Not because I'm some big deal. It's because I'm in Christ. And I believe it. Alright? It changes how you see yourselves. And when that, you allow that to happen, it changes how you approach every obstacle in life. All right? It changes how you see others. When you see humanity, humanity, not just other Christians, but humanity as a family that God is the father of. All right? It should change how you relate to everyone else, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of their uh, financial status regardless of their uh, uh, political status. You, you go, wow, we have a sh- shared origin, and it's God. And Maybe they're completely disconnected, maybe they're at war with their dad, but we still have to treat them and recognize uh, that we have a shared origin. <clears throat> and um, it changes how we see doing life, that we live out life with an intimate relationship with a life-giving father, Uh That wants to walk with us. You know, it's not just, he doesn't just give us an instruction booklet and say, follow the rules. He says, okay, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's do this together. And I'll help you with each step of the way. Alright? And, but the next word is significant too. One God, the Father Almighty. Alright? I will be your Father and you will be my sons and daughters. That was a quote, says the Lord Almighty. Alright? Paul, uh, what's this mean? Almighty is absolute and universally sovereign. Sovereign means there's he's the king of kings, lord of lords. There's no authority above God. He has all might. No one, nothing can compare or challenge him. So uh why is this important? My daddy's bigger than your daddy, right? <laughs> you know, you just walk up, you just know. That the person standing behind you uh, is is the most powerful. Greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world. Right? There's another daddy uh, in the world. And he's called the father of lies. Right? Uh, and the people that are under that deception, uh, their daddy can't stand up to our daddy. And the truth is, our daddy is their daddy too, coming to rescue them from the father of lies. If that make sense. All right, <clears throat> our Father is the biggest in every way, the best provider, the best protector, comforter, counselor. The best. Almighty means to the greatest extent in every capacity, every characteristic of God, He is that completely. All right, there's there's no end to God's capacity for love or mercy or justice or truth. He he is it to the uh, eternal degree. And Christianity represents Almighty God. The God, not a God. Um, and we again, we need to tolerate, we need to understand how to hear and listen to other people's uh, story and where they are and what they think and, and, and feel God is. But then we need to introduce to them the idea that there is an Almighty God. But that Almighty God is not a big God like Thor with a big hammer ready to pound on you, right? He's a God of love and mercy. Yes, He has a hammer. But that hammer is designed to protect you. That's kind of like Thor. But anyway, we'll go up there. <laughs> kind of like Marvel's adaptation. <sighs> I want to uh, learn how to get my sermons done on time, but that will come later. <laughs> so bear with me. i got a little bit more to go. So I want to just share this story. This is Abram, uh, his interaction with God, because it ties together these truths, I think, in a, in a great way. And Christianity, the Bible is really a collection of stories. Uh, it's best understood as a story. So Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord uh, appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty. I am the Almighty One. Serve me faithfully and live blameless life and I'll make a promise, a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell at his, uh, down on, his, on the ground and God said to them, This is my covenant. This is my promise. I'm giving you my word. Um, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. Because you'll be the father of many nations. What what is tied together here in this story is two aspects of the character and the nature of God. His almightiness, the El Shaddai aspect of it, encountering a person, just a regular guy named Abram, and he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reproduce the essential aspect of me in you, and that is Father. Alright? The El Shaddai revelation of God, God being revealed as Almighty was communicated to the person of Abraham in that he was going to be a father. Does this make sense? God says, I'm going to change you to be a father. Not just a father, but a father to a multitude. Why? Because that represents God. And it, in fact, represents the Almighty aspect of God. Because God's power, His sovereignty, and His fatherhood are intricately united, okay? Because His his might, His power produces life. Look what He did when He created the universe. Boom! Everything came into existence out of His power. But this is an existence that's filled with beauty and miraculous uh, uh, life everywhere exploding. His purpose is to reproduce His character in us just as He did in Abraham. All right? So, God's almighty power, what's that mean to you? What What's that mean to you? What's that mean to you? All right. Well, what Scripture teaches us is that when you have an encounter with God, it should transform you to take on His characteristics so that you begin to reproduce Him. And being a father means this. It's no longer about you. How many fathers can understand what I'm yeah. talking about? All right? Once, you have a fa- once you're a father, life's no longer about you. It's about care, taking care of them, providing for them, loving on them. right? But then you find out, wow, you experience so much more of life. whether you have natural children or not, that's what you need to learn. because God is a father to us. Alright? And, re- and, sh- and he reproduced that in Abraham as an illustration. there's lots of reasons, but one of it, uh, uh, the application I'm pulling out of it at this time, the illustration that we're to be like God, to love on and to reproduce that same character of God uh, to those around us, to be a provider and a protector. Quickly going to end with this uh, last part of it. Maker of heaven and earth, and of all that is seen and unseen. Okay, so what does this mean? Defending creation is not something that's new to the Christian faith. Right, Now, a lot of Christians, especially in America, this is actually you'd be surprised that this is like a really an American thing, okay? Uh, the whole creationist debate and the whole Bill Nye science guy. you know you go to other parts of the world and they look at you like you're talking like they don't even understand the debate because this is not an issue. <clears throat> uh, so American Christianity is a bubble. <laughs> And so we get real wrapped up in our own little things and not, and not realize, oh, this actually was settled thousands of years ago. Alright? Um, but I, I, I want to speak on this. I think it's significant. One, is in the Creed, it clearly states that God is the Creator. So this means that they knew even back then in the 300s. Alright? And even in the Apostles' Creed, which goes back to the first century, that uh, proclaiming this God as the Creator God is important. Why is that part of the profession? Because it was contested. It was argued. There were other creation myths. There were other explanations. There were naturalists, although they used different terms, that believed in a, a, a non-God form of creation, different than our scientific thing, but it, it still there was arguments. So many people in the ancient world just thought that the the, the natural elements, the planets, the sun just all exi- always existed. are you hearing me? So this debate is not something new, it's actually something that's core to our our faith and that we believe that this one father God made everything. <clears throat> all right? Father as creator is central to the faith. Paul talks about this says uh, in Corinthians says, There may be so-called god many, there may be so-called gods, both in heaven and earth. And some people actually worship many gods and many lords. So, he's just saying, you know what? There's all kinds of gods and lords and people actually worship many of them. Some of them worship the single one. Some of them worship... but I think that there's other ones that, that aren't theirs. But there's just this confusion. But Paul says, but we know that there's only one God, the Father, who created everything. And we live for Him and there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. So the understanding that God is the Creator of all things is core to our faith. And it it states a few things here very significantly. He created heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. So those words were, were picked on purpose because at the time... There was a big debate that um, heaven is eternal and earth was temporary created by God or that the the seen is uh, the material things are evil are corrupt and bad and the unseen world the spirit world is good and it's a gnostic heresy and the church was really standing up and saying no that that's not true God created all of it there's one God and it's all uh his doing <coughs> Uh, and by the way, that argument still exists in different forms today. The word heaven refers to God's realm or the spirit realm. And earth refers to what is natural. So that would be planets and suns and meteors and all that stuff. Seen means, of course, that which is seen, visible. Uh, and then unseen means invisible stuff. Okay, so that means the spirit world like angels and demons and all that. God created all of those things. But it also means like atoms and molecules. So when they wrote this, they didn't understand the science of atoms and molecules, but they knew that there were unseen elements even within the created world, and they were acknowledging God created all of that. And it also means things like truth, love. Those are very—they're concepts, with the realities, right? right? Love is one of the most powerful forces on Earth in the, in the universe, right? But you can't put it in a box. God created that. God created mercy. It's not that God is merciful, in the sense that He follows rules so that He treats people right. <laughs> mercy is—is is a word that we use to help describe part of how God is. Does that make sense? So He created these things. He created everything. Everything seen and unseen, visible and invisible. Why this is important? There's nothing outside His dominion. Everything originated from Him. So there's no idea. There's nothing invisible like an idea that is beyond the sovereignty of God that will not at some point bow its knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no philosophy, ideology, thought. There's no element. There's no scientific theory. All of that stuff nicely and easily fits into God's sovereignty. Does that make sense? It all will fit in. We don't understand how it will fit in right now because we're not at the end of the story yet. Okay, <clears throat> Cre- creation, this whole thing about creation, significant Essential, fundamental, non-negotiable to our faith that God created. But creation is about who and what, not the how. Alright? Who? God. What God? Father God. Almighty God. What? Everything. Seen and unseen. How? Exactly the way the Bible describes. Okay? But you, you will err as has everyone Throughout the thousands of years of church history, today included, when they try to force modern scientific thought, whether it's science from the 20th century, 19th century, 18th century, 17th century, 14th century, okay, if you try to force scientific uh, thought onto extremely ancient poetic expressions, all right? So, what I'm saying here. Creation happened exactly the way it's depicted. All right, but don't add to God's word. Just like you're not to take away from God's word. All right, because when you do that, you just get confused, and people look at you and go, "What are you talking about?" And because of the purpose, the purpose, folks, of the story is not the geology. The purpose is the Father. So if you're talking about creation and it doesn't lead someone into an intimate relationship with the Father, then you're missing it. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Uh, and this should shape us. We need to focus on the fatherhood of God. We need to focus on the who and the what of creation and what it's meant to communicate and not get caught up in arguments about Christian, uh, Christianese definitions. And I believe that when we understand God as the sovereign, almighty Creator, that there's nothing that's created that's outside of His sovereign rule and reign and design, then it produces an incredible peace. You should be at peace with the universe. Because you're at peace with the universe's Creator. Alright? All things and all... things. Okay, real quickly. Why don't you close your eyes. Let me ask you these things. And please... We've just heard a, a definition of them, but if this is just ideas and it doesn't get applied to you personally, it's, you just wasted an hour and a half of your time. Do you believe? Can you say like the ancients have said all through time, uh, the Christians have said through, from the ancient days, "I believe this to be true"? And if you're in a place where you haven't said that, or you said you said that but you haven't been living it, you can recommit your life. By stating again, yeah, I believe I actually believe this. I don't understand it. Maybe I don't live uh you know, every day obedient to it, but I believe it. You can you can you can make that statement this morning if you've never made that statement. Or you can renew that commitment this morning if you need to renew it. We're gonna have a prayer team up here that'll pray with you. Is God your father? In addition to believing, focus on God. Ask yourself, do you see God as your loving Father? Or do you see Him just as the rule, gi- rule giver? Is He your Daddy? Do you know His almighty power? Do you really believe that He's the biggest one? He's the best. Are you in touch with that? Or do you need to renew that? And finally, are you at peace with His creation, because you're at peace with Him. If there's anything in life, whether it's an idea, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's a lack of provision, whether it's sickness, if there's anything that you're not at peace with, I'm here to declare that relationship with the, with God Almighty can bring peace to that situation. If you need that peace... Reach out and receive it because that's what God is here to do for you so Father, we just take all of these situations and each person here and I pray that you would connect with them personally that they would experience you and that they would uh, they would come to that place of peace in Jesus' name and Father, I pray that we would become uh, better representatives of this message uh, that's transforms cultures, transforms individuals. In Jesus' name, Amen.